Hey everybody, and welcome to the second episode of DCI. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I get to speak with the folks at Lost Decade Games. Uh, we spoke with Matt Hackett and Jeff Blair about their new game, Crypt Run, which is currently in the middle of its Kickstarter campaign. Uh, it's a uh, dungeon crawler, roguelite type thing. Uh, really neat game, uh, looks pretty cool. Uh, so we really enjoyed our, our conversation with these guys. We hope you do too. If you want to find out more about DarkStation, you can do that at DarkStation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at DarkStation underscore com. Uh, if you want to subscribe to us, we are on iTunes. We're the DarkCast. And uh, while you're there, drop us a review. Let us know what you think. You can also send us an email at podcast at DarkStation.com. And uh, let us know what you think of the show. Give us any ideas. If you have ideas for topics or people that you want us to interview, whatever you want to uh, do. Just let us know that you're listening. Uh, if you want to find out more information about Lost Decade, their previous games, or Crypt Run, uh, then you need to check out the show notes. Uh, we've got links to all of their games, including their, their Kickstarter for their current one. Uh, so anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now on with the show. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining us on the Darkcast. Uh, who are we talking to? Exactly. God. So I am Matt Hackett. I'm one of the co-founders of Lost Decade Games. Mm-hmm. And I'm Jeff Blair. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jeff Blair. I'm the other co-founder. All right. Good deal. Uh, wh- what do you guys do at Lost Decade Games? So we've been kind of uh, putting, trying to put labels on uh, what we do recently because we've been kind of uh, like we fixed up our website and stuff, and we needed like a little bit of text to put on there. So. Uh, we started to say that, like, I'm kind of a technical artist. I do all of the, the game's artwork, and then um, I also write a lot of scripting to, like, make the artwork, you know, move around and be interactive and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, you know, as a two-man little indie startup, we uh, we both wear many, many hats. So in general, I'm more of the, like, marketing and PR guy, um, and then I'll let Jeff say what he does. So I guess uh, I'm kind of the principal architect. I do a lot of the underlying code for the games, uh, a lot of the simulation code, uh, just infrastructure, performance optimization, that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, and I also handle a lot of the business end, so signing paperwork and stuff. And uh, Jeff's mom is an accountant, and she does our accounting, so it's like it's, oh, it's great. That you, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't believe what kind of fun I have with, uh, with all the with that, basically. That's there's, terrible. There's like some great wording where I'm like, you know, I, I got to pay your mom 600 bucks for the work she did for us last night and stuff like that. <laughs> She's uh, obviously a great excellent. lady and everything, and I'm <laughs> but we just have fun with that. Yeah, but uh, that's got to make the, uh, the your mom jokes in the office just terrible. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're just like too easy almost like they don't even have to say anything usually they just kind of fall on your lap and i don't even have to speak a word usually <laughs> you just have understand. a you have a, a look that's kind of a shortcut or shorthand for <laughs> for your mom <laughs> exactly exactly uh good deal so uh so how long has uh lost decade been around we found it in 2010 Okay. Uh, just just in time, or let's see, when was that, Jeff? Was was uh, we found the month recently? Not that it matters too much, but it was like September or August of 2010, I think, is when we officially became an LLC. Yeah, uh, we had kind of started off working on the side. Uh, we both had day jobs working uh, for kind of a gaming website called Raptor.com. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, we uh, actually recently had an interview with them uh, on the website somewhere. Uh, oh yeah, cool. Great. So we were we were both uh, instrumental in designing and building the Raptor website. Okay. Um, Actually, I, I've, I've got a quick question for you, uh, and this was something on our, our last podcast that we had, uh, and it's yeah, it's not really a question you can ask the people that currently work at Raptor, but why doesn't it work sometimes? Why does it just not count time or achievements for, like, days? What, what's up with that? <laughs> uh, that's probably a pretty good question. Uh, my guess would be that uh, there's a lot of, like, um, very sp- game-specific hooks that have to be written. Sure. Uh, Matt and I actually worked on the website. We didn't really work on the, the tracking client. Okay, uh, so uh, were you guys like building the uh, community aspects and stuff like that? Yeah, it's like so when you go to your, your profile on the web and like it showed 
all the data. Uh, we were like on the display side of the website. Uh, okay. Uh, we weren't really on the data collection side. Gotcha. Um, but I do know that uh, it's very tricky to get all the different games tracking and working correctly because um, you know there's a lot of different things involved and they get blocked by Sony and Xbox and various services trying to crawl their websites all the time. Yeah, we know firsthand that like the the code that makes that powers Raptor is like this giant, really complicated beast, and, and like I mean, it has to be because they handle so many different like edge cases and scenarios. Uh, it's a really difficult problem that they do, and and sometimes it looks like the data just falls through the cracks. All right, well that that was just kind of a, a random question, uh, but anyway, you guys moved on from sure, Raptor. Sure. Um, and uh... yes, yeah, so we actually started making games uh, on the side. I don't know when we were at Raptor, and uh, and then we uh, we eventually quit to to go work at a gaming startup. Um, we worked there for about eight months, and then we decided to strike it on our own because uh, we kind of had our own vision for the way that we wanted to make games and the kind of games we wanted to make. And um, we're actually kind of in a niche because uh, we write all of our games using HTML5 and JavaScript. And around that time was when HTML5 and JavaScript were just starting to become kind of a thing in terms of making games in the web browser. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been doing that since about 2010, I guess. Yeah, and then we went. Uh, so we went independent last year. It was February 2012, and it's been just us ever since. Okay. So where, where'd the name Where'd the name Lost Decade come from? <laughs> that came up after uh, a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts and a lot of conversation. We both like had been tinkering with games on the side for many many years, and we both kind of had ideas about like what an organization would be called if we ever created one, but. Uh, we decided to come up with a new name and not use one that either one of us had just to kind of, you know, make a new entity out of the fact that we were working together. And uh, we both had such similar careers our entire lives. We were like, we're almost identical um, or almost exactly the same age. We've got like very similar paths where like we went to college at the same time and like, you know, experimented with college at the same time. And then we went off and like we were web developers around the same time too. And we both had about 10 years experience uh, experience each as web developers, and so we called the game, uh, we called the company Lost Decade because we felt like, you know, we had lost ten years doing web stuff because we just kind of, you know, we fell into that career trap. We we never, you know, stopped and thought like, am I doing what I really want to be doing with my life, or am I just kind of, you know, going where the good jobs are and trying to stay afloat and stuff. So, sure. uh, yeah, that's where Lost Decade came from. Good deal. I, I was think I was imagining that since uh, the the games that you guys have uh, put out so far. Are kind of retro-ish that you know it's kind of the the lost decade going back ten years to, but then that doesn't even work because some of the games almost seem like they'd be more like, you know, '90s, not 2003. It's crazy to think that ten years ago was 2003. I know, right? It does not feel like that at all. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> says ten years ago. I, <laughs> oh, no, I was just gonna say someone says ten years ago, and I I, I go to like 1996. Right. Oh, uh, same here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I was in middle school or high school, like <laughs> ten years ago, right? No. Oh shit. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, mine was much more sinister. I thought you guys shared like a, an alien abduction experience. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Well, well maybe, maybe they... we did. It is race the memory. <laughs> yeah, they just implanted the memory of working at all those jobs and. Right, that's why they're the same memories, right? <laughs> that's exactly. Just copy-paste. Right. We didn't all grow up watching Simpsons and playing Nintendo. Those were fabricated. Hey, those are my memories. Get out of my head. <laughs> um, so uh, when you go to uh, your guys' website, uh, Lost Decade, um, uh, you guys actually, you've actually done a couple of other games. Uh, can you tell us about those before we get into Crypt Run? Sure. Sure. So uh, our first game that we made um, was a game called Onslaught Arena, and uh, this is a game we actually started making for uh, a contest called Boing Boing's Games Inspired, uh, inspired by Music. Um, and it was basically to take a kind of retro music track and make a game around it. Um, and we have this friend, Joshua Morse, who's a great composer, and he's done all the music in our games. Mm-hmm. And so he created this great retro track for us, and we uh, created this arena-themed game where you're kind of fighting off hordes of, of monsters streaming through the gates of this arena. Uh, and there's, I forget how many levels were in the initial version, but uh, maybe like 10 or 50 <laughs> somewhere in there. Um, but it's like kind of... 
There's just a little bit of <laughs> space. A little big wiggle room in there. It's yeah. like a hundred or a thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's no, kind of like a Robotron-inspired game, I guess. Yeah, I was actually playing it a little bit before we started the interview, and I, I kind of didn't want to start the interview. I just wanted to keep throwing spears at stuff. So that, was, that was pretty fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, so what uh, what came after that? Uh, so the next thing we did is um, HTML5 was a big thing with mobile uh, around that time. So we decided to try our hand at kind of a mobile touch-based game. Um, it was actually a little bit of a departure for us because we're both, both uh, big retro game fans. Um, but we kind of wanted to just branch out and see what we could do without Swords and Dragons. Um, so we came up with this game called Bunchbug, uh, which is kind of a reverse-inspired uh, board game. Um, and we launched that um, on the mobile web um, and on various uh, mobile stores, uh, uh, iOS and stuff, uh, and Android. Um, and it's basically, I don't know if you ever played Reverse Zero or Othello, but the kind of core concept is that you're placing pieces on the board to surround other pieces, and when you surround other pieces, um, they either get captured or, or taken away and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a, a pretty interesting Interesting game. Uh, we're also trying to experiment with some like free-to-play and purchase style mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a young company, and we're kind of just trying to figure out like what kind of games we wanted to make and what kind of monetization styles we wanted to try. And so, uh, ultimately, I think that that's a kind of a, a weird game in our portfolio, just because it's not the kind of game that we would probably make um, again. Um, but it's certainly an interesting uh, little diversion. I find Lunchbug a fascinating game in our portfolio because, like Jeff said, it's it's never a game we would ever make again. I'm I'm not like embarrassed about it or ashamed of it. I, I I like pointing people to it, and like I think it's great that we have a game in our collection that like my my niece can play without my brother getting upset. You know, it's like it's it's playful and friendly and all that. But it says a lot about the external uh, like pressure that other companies can put on you. You know, and that's not something I ever would have thought of until like I'd actually started to run my own business. You know, but like. All the companies we're reaching out to asking about, like, hey, can you help us monetize our game and distribute our game? And, you know, can you help us keep afloat and stuff? They were all saying the same thing to us. They were saying, we care about mobile. We care about accessibility. We care about, like, uh, themes. Like, some of these companies were educational companies, and they didn't want anything with, like, with blood or swords or anything, you know? And, like, that's how we got to this place where we're making a game that was very out of our element. And then... So after that, we kind of took a look back, and we were like, why are we making games like this? Like, this is not why we founded this company. we got to get back to our roots, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, More so lost that's... time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the whole purpose of the company. Yes. Yeah, but I, I don't think the lost 11 years would really work. <laughs> it, so. doesn't, yeah. it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's too many syllables. No, no, no. Lost decade does throw, you know, it does flow well. Oh, thanks. Like lost decade yeah. plus three months. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That sounds awful. Plus 90 days. It's like a um, So, you want to talk about Lava Blade or should I... That's... I don't know what we should... That's a storied uh, <laughs> project right there. Uh, uh, yeah, so Lava Blade is, is the next game we made after Lunchbug, and it's uh, it kind of started out as a, uh, like, infinite runner side-scrolling game was kind of meant again we were kind of in this mindset of making like more accessible games to launch on on um tablet devices and stuff like that and so we kind of started out with like this procedurally generated side scroller uh, that had like this auto run mechanic and it eventually morphed into um non-auto run side scroller because we were like hey again what are we doing like we need to get back to the kind of games we want to make and not like be focusing on um tablets and stuff like that um and it eventually morphed into a uh turn-based tactical strategy RPG, which is a game <laughs> genre that wow. we both really love. That's really obvious, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a side-scrolling platformer, why not turn it into a strategy <laughs> RPG? Tactical is the way you go. That's yeah. That's first thought. <laughs> like, how do we how do we work these tactics into this uh, the side-scroller? Yeah. Well, the way, that, the way that came about was that we kind of took a look at the game we had, and we just threw out all the code and we kept all the assets. And we're like, what else can we do with these great assets that Matt had drawn? Mm-hmm. And so it was well, turn-based. I, I don't know how great they are, but yeah, we basically had a, like three months, I guess, of work that we wanted to take advantage of without, you know, going bankrupt. So we basically like pivoted and then made the the game as fast as we could. And like going back to our roots, like we know we, we've played a lot of anyway the turn-based strategy games. So we felt like 
that's something we could tackle, you know, we, more in our element and we were more comfortable with, uh, with the design and all that. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, that was the last one before uh, where we're currently at. So those were our three primary big games was Onslaught Arena, Lunchbug, and then Lava Blade. And that takes us to Crypt Run. <coughs> awesome. So, uh, so how, how, how long have you guys been working on it? Because I, I watched the little video. That looked kind of cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm rolling. Oh, can you hear me? Cool. Yeah, we're there? Okay, yeah. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so how long have you guys been working on this? You know, I checked the first commit just recently, and it was in April, um, which was about uh, two or three months ago right now. And uh, I noted that I think we had some code before that. There might have been a couple of weeks we were prototyping before because we were making a game that was very similar to Crypt Run, but we were trying to keep it... Uh, almost insanely simple, where it was like it was really just a game where you're kind of exploring. There wasn't any attack mechanics or anything like that. There wasn't even collection, really. It was, it was just like you're just basically uh, avoiding traps. Mm-hmm. And we had released a uh, a prototype game that was very similar to that, except it was a side-scrolling platformer called Treasure Goblin uh, a few weeks prior. And so we were kind of experimenting with like just these dead simple game designs because we were so like terrified of all of the feature creep and, and scope explosion that we introduced in Lava Blade. So we were trying to make these just ludicrously, ludicrously simple games. Um, but when we got there and we had this prototype where you could move around and explore and avoid traps, we realized it really wasn't all that compelling. And, I mean, we just couldn't figure out a way to make it more compelling. So we just started to add monsters and attacking and weapons and combat and everything because that's, that's just the stuff that we love. So... Uh, yeah, we started to work um, on it in full production uh, in April. It's kind of a. It's also a little bit of onslaught arena thrown in there too, because we've been wanting to revisit that kind of core mechanic where it's kind of like a twin stick shooter. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least at, when we originally designed onslaught arena, it was conceptualized as a twin stick shooter, even though it was a keyboard and mouse game. When we launched it, and that's mostly because browsers didn't have the capability to do game pads at that point in time. Uh, now we actually have that capability to do gamepad support in Chrome and on uh, the desktop uh, for so uh, Windows Crypto and Mac. So is, is actually a stick. You're going straight twin stick shooter with it. Totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So we've been primarily developing it um, with our game pads. Um, it, we also have support keyboard and mouse controls, but those are just kind of like a you know a fallback. Um, the twin stick experience is supposed to be the premier experience. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So what? What? Um. Uh, you know. Again, watching the video, uh, you've got the, uh, the 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 maps that kind of build on themselves and and kind of never the same room twice. Um. What? What other mechanic kind of sets your game apart from from kind of stuff in this genre? So I think the thing that sets uh, that makes Crypt Run special is its death mechanic, which um, the the where the place the game is at right now is the death mechanic is very incomplete. It's very unfinished, but. The way it works is when you die in Crypt Run, uh, the game isn't over. It keeps going. Uh, what changes is uh, the look of the game, and now you're a ghost, and then the, the monsters around you, rather than being living things like you know goblins and bats and stuff, uh, they're now like ghosts and spirits and shadows and that kind of stuff. Um, and right now when you die, like in the alpha, if you, if you play it, um, it there's, there's monsters there, and you can tell that the game has changed. It looks quite different, but... We haven't really gone in there and added all the content we want to add, and we haven't uh, added, like, the challenges we want to add where, like, you go into the realm of the dead and you've died, right? But there's, like, a way to get back, and then once you've done that, that might open up another part of the game, and there's, like, these multi-step challenges. That's where we want to take it, but uh, you can only kind of see, like, us putting our, our uh, like, toes in the water so far with the way the game currently is. Well, you're definitely... Is it a plan like 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 corpse running, like finding your original body and it being transported somewhere else, or is there you guys thinking kind of another goal to get you back into the realm of the living? Uh, it's mostly gonna be other goals. I, I think that we actually talked about the corpse running thing um, a little bit in the inception of this idea, and um, I think that we're both kind of wanting to trend more towards uh, it being like you're going into a different realm and you're doing certain things that affect both realms and you're coming back and doing other things. So it's less about finding your corpse. Um, we might have mechanics in there where you can go back to the room you died in and get your items that you dropped behind when you were in the realm of the living in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to be more focused on the interaction between the two realms. Um, for example, we've prototyped several mechanics where um, when you kill things in the realm of the living, they create ghosts in the realm of the dead. And so in the game's core engine, both of these realms are actually 
in place at the same time. The, the simulation for both realms is running all the time. Um, and so the things that you do in the realm of the living can affect the things in the realm of the dead and vice versa. Uh, and so we really want to play off that mechanic, mechanic really well. We have certain enemies in the game right now that actually flip back and forth. And they have one behavior in the realm of the living and one behavior in the realm of the dead. Uh, and depending on which state they're in, you can see them and, and affect them in one realm or the other. Cool. Nasty. Um, just a, a quick question. Did, <laughs> did, did either of you guys um, play Prey? Uh, the uh, Human Head Project uh, that uh, I think it came out with back at the beginning of the current generation. I haven't, no. Because uh, that, that was a game, it's uh, it sounds very different, but it had a, a kind of similar mechanic where uh, when you died uh, because you were um, a Native American and there was the spirit realm, you would um, go to this weird uh, kind of like blue and white realm where you would have a, a ghost bow and arrow and you would have to shoot um, ghosts and specters and things before you got like sucked into this wormhole and then you would come back to life and you would be right where you had died in the uh, mm. kind of normal world. So. Oh, interesting. Mm, no, yeah. I haven't played that, but that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So the, that... the the rest of the game was was kind of terrible, but that that it was a <laughs> it was a neat idea. <laughs> I think for our game though, we we want to focus on the realm of the dead being um a, a larger experience. It's not just going to be here's a second chance at the game or something like that. It's okay. actually going to be harder. It's going to be what we think of as hard mode in the game. Um, and really, we want you to be able to complete the game in the light realm um, all the way to the end if you want to, and there'll probably be achievements for doing that. Um, but the the realm of the dead is going to be much more difficult. Uh, the bosses are going to be more difficult. So almost and... like the uh, the dark levels from Super Meat Boy then. Sure, yeah. Uh, it's definitely going to be kind of like people looking for an extra challenge are going to want to do the okay. achievements that involve going to the dark world. Cool. Yeah. I just wondered, how was... How does the dark world get harder? Can you die when you're dead? Uh, you can die. Well, if you die in the dark world, then is, the game is over. Um, but the primary way that we increase the difficulty is just by we have um, more difficult encounters, uh, more difficult bosses. The monsters are harder. Um, you may not have access to as good of upgrades or uh, upgrades that make the game as easy in the light world, things like that. Gotcha. We want to okay, focus so on like, like they have more behavior, like we, we put more effort into their artificial intelligence and stuff like that. Um, we have, uh, we're known to make games that are way too hard. If, if anyone has or, or goes and, <laughs> yeah, if anyone has played Onslaught Arena, like pretty much every player has the same experience. They get to the Green Dragon and it's like this difficulty cliff and it's really because we just, we just make the games too difficult. Like, because we know the patterns and we wrote them, we can do it. But then other people try and they're like, you guys, you guys are ridiculous. Like, this is way too challenging. Like, we want to hold on to some of that because we know that people really like that these days and they really respond to, like, well-thought-out challenge. So mm -hmm. what the Realm of the Dead allows us to do is we can, we can satisfy ourselves. We can make these ridiculously hard encounters in the Realm of the Dead. We can also have the Realm of the Living as this nice, separate, like, kind of, not like a kiddie pool, but more like, uh, you know, like the Nerf version where it's like, you know, people you know in your life that don't play games that much, they might actually be able to get through that realm uh, and, like, beat the game, essentially, right? But, like, if you want some real challenges, there's still this really great Realm of the Dead area where there's plenty of content and a whole lot of challenges left over. So you guys are fans of, of the Demon Souls, Dark Souls approach. Just, you know, just keep killing them. I would say more <laughs> spelunky. But okay. yes, yeah. Oh, oh God, we're All definitely right. uh, we're definitely gluttons for punishment. I actually I've beaten uh, Spelunky on XBLA uh, the hard way, and if if you've played Spelunky before, you know how difficult that is and how how long and how much practice it takes. What is the hard the hard the hard way? Is that straight through without using the shortcuts? The hard no, that's that's just the normal way. The hard oh, way what's... is you go <laughs> to I, hell. I've played Spelunky and there's there is no easy way. There's no. no, there's no. <laughs> The quote easy way is you go straight in through the temple and you beat Olmec that way. The the okay. then there's the normal way, which is you start in the beginning and you go all the way through the game. Then there's the hard way where there's like all these multiple steps you have to do and you go all the way to hell and there's a brand new crazy boss. And like I, I'll admit, Spelunky has had uh, quite an impact on on me and and Jeff. So I'm sure that we'll be doing some of those multi-step quest stuff. And it's it's totally inspired by Spelunky. We got a lot of love for, like for that game. So are there are there are, are obviously with that kind of love are there roguelike elements to this um, oh or absolutely is this like a, okay so this is not just a, the same persistent character no. no 
So every time okay. you, you start the the game, it's it's kind of a new run, and so that's kind of where the name Crypt Run came from. Is that whenever you you play the game, you know you're trying to get as far into the crypt as you can, and so uh, it is a very much like a roguelike where you start from this entry point. Um, there's not a persistent character, and you see how far you can get picking up like items and weapons and power up along the way. Um, and then when you die, that game is over. Right. You know, so there's that permadeath aspect. And there will be persistence, so there's going to be a town. Like, this is a, another one of those areas of the game that's very incomplete and we've really barely spent any time on, but our goal eventually is there's going to be a town with a couple different buildings that you can visit. There's going to be, like, a museum where you can... It shows you your collections and it shows you your achievements and it visualizes them that way. So you'll be able to go back home to the town and see what you've accomplished, uh, but you'll still also be able to, like, always have the same entry point and always have, like, a fresh challenge uh, ready for you. Yeah, so the persistence of the game is all about what you've done, and so we're going to persist the th- the goals that you've completed and the achievements that you've uh, you've attained that way. Um, but the actual core gameplay is going to be kind of starting from you know the entry level and seeing how far you can get each time. Right. Sweet. Okay. So, all right. Uh, there's a thought. That's in my head, and I can't, I can't grab it. <laughs> a, uh, a headache with pictures. Yes. It is. It, it, it's very yes. It's there, uh, but it is. It is gone. It is fleeting. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. No. It's it's gone. Okay. So that's <laughs> uh, you're watching a man fall apart right now. We're listening to one rather. So that's that's excellent. Jonathan, what do you have? What do I have? I, th- I thought you were going next. Um, I guess let's let's I talk about it. the. Uh... <laughs> I just, yeah. Your brain just fell apart. That's okay. Um, Let's talk so, about the Kickstarter. Yeah, you guys uh, recently launched a, a Kickstarter campaign, um, and uh, one, one of the questions that I've been asking a lot of the people that we've been interviewing that are uh, doing Kickstarter is kind of what what goes into to getting this thing up and running, um, because that's not as much as... Okay, okay, hold on. I got it. I'm going to interrupt oh, you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Go, go for it. <laughs> so... When you're talking about this, you're saying that there's a lot that's kind of still out there. Do you guys have, like, a master map of things that you'd like to do, almost like a like a, like a a checklist that somebody can walk by and be like, no, we're not doing this, this is gone, but we are doing this? Oh, yeah. Like, we, uh, we use a program design? called Asana. I don't know if anyone's heard of that, but it's this really super awesome, um, like, project right. management. Yeah. It, well, it's kind of like a, like a task manager. And okay. everything goes in there. We have some design documents and stuff, but really what it comes down to is like we'll we'll talk about stuff and then we'll just we'll make tickets out of it. So we've got like an Asana project right now with like something insane, hundreds. like three hundred, yeah, hundreds of different tickets, and then they're all labeled like these are things we have to do because this is a critical bug, or this is something we should do because you know a player suggested it and it's a really awesome suggestion, or these are things we could do because we want to, or because it'd be cool, or whatever. But, like, having that is, is critical for, like, if, you know, even if you're just a hobbyist game developer, I really feel like having a, a task manager is, is really essential. a way to prioritize your ideas. Absolutely. Or else it's just so overwhelming because you're working on stuff and you get so excited and you're like, you have a hundred ideas a minute of stuff that you want to add and they're all good ideas and, like, you want to capture them. So what we do is we just jot them down and get rid of them, you know, out of sight, out of mind, focus on what needs to be done. You can always go back to that list, like, as you need it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I have no need of that because I, I think of questions immediately and I just throw them <laughs> out there. So, <laughs> I don't forget anything as it stands. So. <laughs> Go there right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, we also no, use that's, Google that's... Docs quite a bit. Um, we were talking about that uh, earlier, uh, I guess probably before we were recording or maybe not, but um, we love Google Docs spreadsheets. We put so much information about the game in there. We have these great matrices with like all the entities that are in a, a given dungeon and like the status of them and the different, um, you know, kind of pieces of data that correlate to each of those entities. So like all the monsters, all the traps, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It kind of gives you this high, like a, a high level view of the game where you could look at the, the crypt run entity spreadsheet and you could look at it and be like, okay, so players green sword is green. These are good entities that are pretty much like ready for collision with the player. Right. And then you've got stuff that's like yellow, like, okay, the werewolf needs some tweaks. And then you've got stuff that's red, which like, you know, that kind of needs to come out of the game. So you can kind of get a big picture of the game just by looking at this spreadsheet. And that's been really beneficial as well. Sweet. Question now. that is completely separate from that. <laughs> what made you guys decide to shoot treasure chests? 
if if we're going to be honest, we'll probably say uh, if not laziness, then certainly easy easiness. <laughs> <laughs> well it was like we've got the code ready where it's like I, I know what a weapon is I know how to be hurt I know how to take damage and stuff like that and you know um, we've, we I guess we also had the code where like if I touch something it opens but uh, it just seemed like an obvious thing like if you want a chest open just you know beat the snot out of it <laughs> that works absolutely good it question also, though that is pretty unconventional it works kind of well too now that we added mimics to the game because now when you shoot a treasure chest you don't know if it'll just take damage and open or if it'll start trying to eat your face. It's very super <laughs> to ask questions later. Honestly, coming from the world of Spelunky, that's a real good, uh, you know, you know, that's a good model to have. You just, just beat on things until they give you what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, so absolutely. Awesome. Um, cool. All right, well, now back to my question okay. before you Can't interrupted me, Brian. Your... <laughs> oh, right. I'm sorry, uh. I came back, and I needed to, to get that out again. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have lost a decade trying to think of what the hell. Oh, good <laughs> But um, um, so so like like I was saying, uh, one of the things I like to ask is uh, what all goes into a Kickstarter campaign? Because even though um, you know developers like to talk about, they'll show you kind of the behind the he- behind the scenes uh, stuff of the game. No one ever really talks about the behind the scenes part of Kickstarter itself. Uh, so what has that been like, getting that kind of up and running? Sure. So I've had my ear to the ground for about a year, and I spent maybe the last three months collecting articles and best practices. And, and there's already an overwhelming amount of information out there about the things you can or should do to prepare and to launch your Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. it took a lot of effort just to compile all that data and see what was applicable to our project and and all that. We're talking about uh, like a part-time job for at least a month, like in addition to anything else that you're doing, just to research and know how to approach your Kickstarter campaign. Sure. Is there like uh, a like a how-to Kickstarter by Tim Schafer? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Step one, be Tim Schafer. Yes. Uh. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's, there's probably hundreds of sites at this point that do nothing but talk about, like, how to improve your campaign or how to, you know, how to launch your campaign. It's craziness. Um, it's completely overwhelming, but I don't know. Um, so once we started getting down to, like, we, we put a date on the calendar, and it coincided with a, uh, an arcade and, uh, and pinball expo called California Extreme, which was in uh, Santa Clara Absolutely. last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, have you heard of it? I have. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're uh, yes. Awesome, yes. awesome. I, I would love to go there one day. That is a that is a really neat like place and idea and just a just a museum of just old cool stuff that yeah. people take care of. Yeah, I've been like like four or five times, and this was the, my first experience on the other side of the table, so to speak, uh, and literally. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, we should talk about that next because California Extreme is super awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so it was nice having a, a hard date because what can happen with probably any big project, but certainly for a Kickstarter campaign, is you start to wonder when is it done, you know? So having a date that was pretty reasonable, like a couple of weeks down the road, was really beneficial. So we coincided the launch of our Kickstarter campaign with, uh, with California Extreme, which was on a Saturday. So we spent that week beforehand. Um, we filmed the video and uh, we like like Jeff bought a green screen and he came down to my apartment and we set it up and we filmed. We had this little script and everything because like one of the most important things is to have a video, even if it's really terrible, right? <laughs> and so um, we we yeah, sent absolutely. that. You gotta have something to show. Yeah, just something like the Kickstarter even tell you that on their website. They're like something is better than nothing for your video. Um, so we we sent that out to get feedback and everybody was like. Uh, it, it's just you guys talking, like, shut up and show us the game, <laughs> you know? So, so that's what we did. We, we just threw out everything we had and we reshot the game. It's a hundred percent, uh, well, very close hundred percent gameplay with some other little images in there. It's very short and concise. It's two minutes long. I would say we spent the most time just on the video. So I, I would put that as a heads up as like, if you're planning on doing a Kickstarter, Probably at least a couple of weeks out, you should have your video done, and you're already sending it out to get feedback because you might want to throw it all out. It's yeah, like totally. it's this iterative process. Like, don't plan on getting anything right the first time. You know, like the first time you do it, it's probably gonna be pretty bad. And the second time might be fine, but plan and give yourself time to iterate. 
it's also the most expensive piece to work on, right? Like the description is really, really important and, and all that, but like you can edit that up to the wire, you know, you can edit a sentence, you can take it out, you can rewrite a paragraph, you're fine. It's really difficult to edit your video, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- once you kind of like got it almost complete. Yeah. If you want to change major parts of it or anything like that. So, or you, know, you have to record new voiceover, you have to record new gameplay, you have to then go get into your editing program and like splice it all together and make it all look good again and all that stuff. So, uh, the video is is really really important, and it's the most work. Yeah, the the other bits are a lot of work themselves. Like, like you need to be aware if you're thinking about doing a Kickstarter that there's like there's all these different sections that all are their own projects and require a lot of attention, like the rewards and the stretch goals and the description and your project image and obviously your video and then your fact and then your uh, there's this weird like risks section that they make you fill out, which is it's hard to come up with the right wording for that. It's like there's a lot of different things, and they all require a ton of attention. It's it's really a daunting, uh, overwhelming task. A lot of fun. <laughs> how much how much time went into finding the tiger hat? The tiger hat? <laughs> Almost none. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, kind of funny. Uh, my girlfriend and I were in the Fisherman's Wharf area of San Francisco, and uh, we came across this hat store, and I was just trying on pretty much every hat in the store and taking a picture of it because – I don't remember. We were waiting for somebody or something. That's what you do in a hat store, man. I'm there. Exactly. You do that right? all the time. <laughs> awesome. So that's where the tiger hat came from. Excellent. Okay. I had, I had to ask. That's a great picture. Uh, another thing that, that we've realized, and I think Matt was kind of more prepared for it than I was, was that once you've launched the Kickstarter, that's the easy part. <laughs> like just getting all the assets done and pushed to the web and, and hitting the publish button um, it is just the beginning, right? Like the the whole rest of the campaign is like you trying to get people to write about it and support it and send it to all your friends and everybody you know and like trying to drum up support for your Kickstarter. I mean, that's an enormous amount of work. Oh, yeah. Like the moment you launch your Kickstarter, uh, however long your period is, you can set how long you want your Kickstarter to be, like, you know, 30 days. Consider that to be how long you're basically on call and you will be working every minute of every day. If if you if you want your Kickstarter to succeed and you don't have like you know a, an ace in your pocket you don't like you know have a really great journalist connection or you don't have like a bunch of money that you can use to market and get attention to your Kickstarter like Tim Schafer <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes because like I think some people kind of think that it's this magic bullet and like you know if I if I build it they will come kind of thing but mm-hmm. we we know now just by looking at the numbers that like. A little trickle comes in from just being on the discovery channels of Kickstarter, but the lion's share of your uh, your in- incoming pledges have to come from you and your network, and you go hustle to pull those in. It's a ton of work. Sure, yeah. And now I'm going to take a nap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Uh... <laughs> um, so, so what are some of the things that backers can expect to get if they back? Cryptron. Go for it, Jeff. Uh, So we actually have uh, a bunch of different rewards. Tiger hats! (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) Tiger hats for all. That's right. Um, Awesome. Uh, in addition to you know getting the game and getting the soundtrack and stuff like that, um, we're also offering rewards where you get copies of our other game, Lava Blade. Uh, mm-hmm. which we think is pretty cool. Uh, we're also offering another reward tier where you get um, full alpha access to the game. So okay. once the Kickstarter ends and we get into really deep development, uh, we're going to be doing weekly alpha builds. And for the alpha backers, we're going to be sending those builds out um, so they can play and experience the game kind of as we build it. Um, and we're also going to be posting um, videos and blogs about like behind the scenes kind of how we built this feature or you know stuff like that. Uh, we've also got a really great reward where uh, Matt will draw a picture of your face uh, or whatever you want and put it in the game, in our in-game museum. Uh, only your face. Only your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you're heading that off now. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good idea. Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, we're also, uh, we have another reward level where uh, you can be a guest on our podcast. Uh, we have our own podcast. Uh, which we mentioned earlier, uh, that's called Lost Cast, mm-hmm. and uh, it's an HTML5 indie gaming focused uh, podcast. And so, uh, for that reward tier, you can be a guest on our show for about an hour. It's usually about uh, our episode length, uh, and we'll talk about whatever you want. 
So obviously we get a free pass on that because you're a guest on our podcast, right? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sounds fair to me. (laughs) Um, So, you know, uh, uh, some Kickstarter campaigns, they they start up and, you know, they say that the game is almost done and they want, you know, some extra help so they can make sure that, you know, they can publish it the way that they want to. They don't want to lose the rights to it or, or something like that. There are, you know, various things that are you know kickstarter is needed for um what if people do back your game uh kind of what are the, what are they paying for oh uh, they're basically paying for us to, to be able to finish the game you know um we okay. have um, some big plans for the game and it's in a pretty good alpha state right now um i don't know if you played it or not but it's, it's a very playable game um it definitely mm-hmm. needs more content so essentially what the kickstarter is for is to um, just fund the development of more content, um, okay. more bosses, more enemies, more levels, um, more sound effects, more music from our composer, uh, more great art from Matt, uh, stuff Woo. like that. <laughs> 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 um, we'd really love to make this a really deep and, and epic game where, you know, it, it is kind of like uh, there there's a lot of depth. You know, you can play through it and then you can play through it 10 more times more times and still not have found all the little nooks and crannies and gotten all the little achievements and quests that the game has to offer um, and we really 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 want to add um, as much cool light and dark realm crossover as we can because we think that's a really fun mechanic sure yeah um now uh as of this recording you guys are uh well over halfway to your goal um do you have any sort of stretch goals that you have in mind if you you know make it there in plenty of time Oh, definitely. Our, our very first one is uh, to get the game on Linux, and okay. we uh, we think that's an achievable goal. But it's uh, we basically just need extra funding to be able to like probably gonna have to buy a Linux machine or I don't know. Uh, so you, you have to buy Linux machines? They're not all free. <laughs> well, I would love to have say like a laptop where I could install Linux and like have the box sure. there. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's our Windows guy, and he'll he'll do like a dual boot or something, but. Um, but yeah, we want to get it on Linux, and then the next stretch goal after that is uh, we want to add playable classes. And some of our ideas are uh, there's actually a werewolf that you can fight in the game right now, but we think it'd be really cool to add him as a character you can play as. Sure. And then we want to add like a frost knight uh, that lets you freeze enemies. And um, oh, we had an idea for I think an assassin who can backstab, uh, and that'd be super cool. And then um, the rest of the stretch goals really are just like. Because what the money does really is it buys us time. So like for every, you know, depending on our, our bills, like however many thousands of dollars we can get, that's that'll set us up for a couple months. And then we can just be like, we're going to take a month and we're going to nail out like the sand dungeon. And mm-hmm. then it's like if we meet our next stretch goal, like, okay, great, we've got more money. We can continue to work. Like let's let's nail out the uh, the ice dungeon or like um, the fire swamp dungeon, like stuff like that. So we, we really just want to continue to add more dungeons because that's just more content that people get to get to enjoy. Yeah, I see one of the uh, things on the sand dungeon is sand sharks. So I yes. fully support this. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You got the fin going around, and he'll like jump out. You know, do like a, like a fish jumping out of the water kind of thing. But it's sand. It sounds that sounds so fun. I really want to make that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what, so, you guys get funded. Um, you know, outside of the stretch goals, what's your what's your goal right now for actually getting Crypt Run finished? What what are you aiming for? Uh, in terms of time wise or content wise, yeah, just time wise. Oh, uh, we'd actually love to release on Halloween. Um, that's okay. kind of our our goal right now is to to get the game done on Halloween. Um, it's the first uh, the first area is a cemetery, and so we think that would be kind of a cool thematic release around sure. that time as well. Yeah. Hopefully. Absolutely. So, you know, Crypt Run, I would think that goes right into the Halloween theme. Exactly, yeah. We thought it would be perfect. So that's that's kind of what we're shooting for. But, you know, uh, it kind of depends. If we get a lot of funding, um, we might be working on the game, um, you know, for a couple months after that, adding all kinds of awesome content. So we'll have to see how the Kickstarter goes. <laughs> so that basically we really hope we miss our deadline. <laughs> <laughs> If you miss if you miss Halloween, it's only going to be for good things. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like I like that thinking. That's excellent. <laughs> it's definitely not standard game development thinking. So you guys are on the right path, at least. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, 
<clears throat> so obviously you guys are, are going for PC and you want to get uh, Linux in there as well. Do you have any other platforms in mind? Uh, do you do you want to get this try to get this on consoles or or Mac or? Uh, we're actually going to ship on Mac for for sure. Um, okay, good deal. So uh, like I mentioned before, our tech is all HTML5 uh, web based, so we could actually ship on the web as well. We might you might see the game on the Chrome web store and some other places where you can purchase games. Um, that you can play in the web browser, and mm -hmm. so. Uh, but our primary platforms are going to be um, PC and Mac, um, mostly because um, that's where we feel like the biggest distribution channels are right now. Um, and so we're going to be selling the game through the Humble Store uh, initially, um, and we're also going to run a Steam Greenlight campaign um, and see if we can get the game on Steam as well. We actually had at one point in time uh, before we launched, one of our stretch goals was to get on Wii U. And, and I put that there because, like, I've got a Wii U, and I know that Nintendo has this web framework, and apparently you can just take your HTML5 game and put it in the Wii U, and it'll just work. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm mad. Like, I want, I want that to happen so bad. I just want to strangle somebody, you know? I'm like, getting, a, getting my game on a Nintendo system, ah, would be amazing. Uh, but the thing <laughs> is, is like, we just, we couldn't make that a stretch goal because we can't promise it. Like, it's not up to us, you know? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, that's that's in somebody else's hands. Like yeah, like we we've signed up to be an Nintendo developer, so if we get accepted, then maybe that'll happen. But right now, it's just this complete black box to us, you know. Like we don't know. What's yeah. what's kind of the process for that? I mean, do you you know do you go on a waiting list? Do you get a call from Mario? What what happens? <laughs> there? It's a me. You are rejected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call again. We sent Reggie. <laughs> Uh, basically, they just have a sign-up form where you, you know, put your name down and you say, you know, what what platforms your games have been on historically and, you know, how long you've been in business and why you want to develop for the Wii U. And then you send it off and then they say, great, thanks, we'll get back to you. And then you hear from them or you don't. We were and joking. So, it was anywhere between the next 24 hours or 900 days. <laughs> nice. Sometime. Well, you know, there's such a plethora of Wii U games. That I can understand why there's, there's a right. wait list to get on there. Why they're not just taking people, you know, left and right, right. just to yeah. put content on the machine. I think it's pretty telling that I turn my Wii U on exactly once per month, and that's to buy the 30-cent bargain that they have for that month, and I play that for a little bit, and then I take off for a month, basically, right now. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. we need more games on that system. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. We'd also really love to be on other consoles, too. Uh, we kind of ran into this guy from Sony at um, California Extreme, and so we're going to talk to them about the possibility of bringing our games to uh, to Sony platforms, but we have no idea. That's kind of another black box, right? Like, we have no idea how that'll go. It could either be, you know, oh, this is a good opportunity, let's do it, or it could be, you know, doesn't pan out, so... I, sure. I can tell you just for sure that there are a whole bunch of people on, on just our side alone that would love to see something like this on the Vita. Oh yeah. Oh cool. Yeah. Oh absolutely. Just uh, you know. Well, I mean, the, they love, no, the twelve the people out there that have a Vita. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Those are, are important twelve people, John. They, they are, and <laughs> half of them write for Darkstation. They <laughs> do. <laughs> awesome. Oh. Uh, um, yeah. So, so it's the question uh, we would love to get it on as many consoles as we can. We just can't promise it. Basically, is what it comes down to. Sure. Um, so, uh, you mentioned, uh, California Extreme, and we talked about that a little while ago. Can you talk about what it was like, uh, being there, kind of on the other side of the table? Yeah, so, um, uh, in case you're not familiar, just if, if anyone listens, happens to not be, it's, uh, it's this yearly, um, pinball and arcade expo in, uh, in the California Bay Area. Uh, it's, it's in Santa Clara right now. It used to be in San Jose. This was the 17th annual, so it's, it's pretty wow. old, uh, expo at this point. Um. Basically, it's two days. Uh, it's always on a weekend, Saturday, Sunday. It's this just giant room where they bring in, like, hundreds of, of pinball cabinets, arcade cabinets, like, old games, new games, uh, and obviously indie games because we were there. Um, and it's super awesome. Uh, it's incredible if you can go. And uh, so last year we went, um, and we were just kind of, you know, going to play some games and have some fun, and we saw a, a small indie company called uh, Team 2-Bit. And they had a game they were demoing. Uh, it was Fist Puncher. And um, did they have another game there, Jeff? Uh, I think it was Washington's Wig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, apparently that game had won some award on G4 or something. But uh, we saw those guys there, and we were like, "Oh, hey!" Like we had no idea. Um, like indies, 
uh, could demo here. So uh, we started, you know, turn, like getting those wheels uh, in motion, and then uh, we got to demo the following year. And uh, it was it was super awesome. Like we've had more like FaceTime with with gamers and players than we've ever had before, and uh, it was a really fun weekend, really long weekend. But <laughs> that's great because really that, that place is such a at such like a labor of love and passion for those guys. Um, have have you taken the plunge and purchased an arcade machine? Uh, my wife uh, holds me back. I, she's got my credit card uh, in a. I think she buried it somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <Good plan. laughs> I wouldn't I, be surprised if that was completely true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't, but I really badly uh, want to. There's. Oh, I, I wouldn't even know where to start as part of the problem. I've got so many favorites. Uh, but man, how cool would that be? Even just to have one cabinet would be like a dream. <laughs> what we really want to do is we want to build a cabinet and put like a small PC inside and put all yes. of our games on it. <laughs> oh yes, that yes. is so good. Ah, someday. There's yes. the dream. Stretch goals. Stretch Light. goals. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. raise fifty thousand dollars, we get our own arcade machine filled with our stuff. Thanks, guys. <laughs> It's your present to us. Thank you. Right. <laughs> I love that idea. Sounds good to us. Maybe we'll run a separate Kickstarter for that. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> On the arcade of my dreams. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, about a year ago, one of our writers had a, uh, a really terrible... Uh, laptop that he would always try to record on, and so we threatened to uh, to start a Kickstarter for him, uh, fun Adam's uh, new PC. Uh, he he finally bought one. Uh, <laughs> that would be a hilarious Kickstarter. Yeah, there's uh, there's really some original Kickstarters out there. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, uh, California Extreme was was really fun. It was also a lot of work. Um, it was probably uh, just as much work preparation wise as getting ready for the Kickstarter, because uh, yeah, we had to. Like find all the demo hardware, test all the demo hardware. We ordered uh, banners that went on top of the table. We ordered stickers. We made um, like Crypt Run themed treats um, to give away to the players, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then you know, we were down there testing it on one day. Then we were down there for two days running the show for like 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. Um, for two days, and yeah, it was a lot of work. But very rewarding, as Matt said. It was really cool to watch people play the game and. Uh, you know, people have these like these tells, you know, when they're playing a game and you can see them jump or when they react and they say, ooh, or ah. And uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of feedback that you don't get when people are just telling you what they think about your game over text, which is usually how we get feedback. Yeah. Was, and, was there anything that surprised you? Um, you know, I, I would say that uh, it was that people would come back because I kind of figured at a place like California Extreme where you've got, you know, sensory overload, I'd figure they'd see this scrappy little indie game and they'd play it and think it was cute and they'd move on. And, you know, but like we had multiple people who would who would keep coming back. And uh, that was really promising. There was one kid on uh, on Saturday who played for four hours straight. Like we spent hours talking to this guy's dad just because uh, <laughs> because he was hanging out for so long playing the game. Yeah, <laughs> so that that was like really promising to us. We were like, okay, we must be on to something uh, right here because this kid won't stop playing. So that's a good problem to have. <laughs> <It> is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best problem to have. Uh. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of, lot of potential there. Yeah. But if you can ever go, like I, uh, you said you were interested in going, like uh, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it's really, really fun. Yeah, I definitely. I'm, I'm in Jacksonville, and uh, um, Jonathan's in Atlanta. So I mean, they're, they're, I definitely want to uh, head head out to the West Coast at one point because there's just so many cool shows out there, and that's that's one of them that I want to hit. Cool. Yeah, definitely. That's totally worth it. Maybe we'll see you there next year. Hey, maybe. <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe. Like, Maybe I'll kickstart my way to California Extreme. <laughs> there you go. Ooh, I like it. I yeah. like it. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, at the end of our interviews, I like to kind of do a uh, – I'm looking for a new name for it. I originally called it the lightning round, and it, it doesn't fit because there's it tends to be a lot of thought that goes into these questions. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of modeled it after James Lipton's um, – the, the, uh, the Proust um, questionnaire he does at the end of his show. Um, so I got questions for both you guys. Uh, six questions. Um, be as honest as possible. Don't worry about being quick, but uh, but definitely you know definitely give it your all. Cool. Sounds fun. All right. 
So, who is your favorite video game protagonist? And not my dog. Good God, man. All right, sorry. Favorite <laughs> video game protagonist? Favorite? Uh, I might, I might say Samus and Ran. And oh, okay. Oh. I actually have a, a tattoo of a mermaid Samus on the, lar- the large part of my left arm. Okay, how does a mermaid Samus work? Well, I'll, I'll send you pics. And you can... <laughs> no, we're, we're not that kind of site, man. Sorry. <laughs> shirt on. It's shirt on. We have like, is it like a armor with a fish tail? Is she the yes. bounty hunter of the no. sea? <laughs> yeah, it's Samus with a fish top. <laughs> it's just oh, very legs, and she runs and kicks and then flops and then, okay yeah okay someone has to go make that game now it's, it's samus fish it could be like metroid meets speak of the dolphin or something <laughs> awesome no it's it's uh it's samus with the mermaid tail and then uh down on my forearm is ultros the octopus from final fantasy 6 is kind of climbing up her uh her fish tail always hanging on that ultros yes so that's that's yeah. what i would say do you want us both to answer like yeah, yeah, if you could, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with um, Ryu Hayabusa from Ninja Gaiden. Nice. Okay. Because uh, I love those games. I've always loved them. I think one of my favorites was uh, Ninja Gaiden 2 uh, for Xbox. Um, and I don't know, I just love running around beating the shows as a ninja with all kinds of crazy weapons. Nice. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Next question. Favorite antagonist. So one's got Ultros. What's the... (laughs) That was easy. Yeah, done. (laughs) Favorite antagonist. Uh, uh, I guess I might have to go pretty generic and say Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII because he's just the most badass villain in any video game. Actually, I think that's only the second time somebody said that, so you're you're good. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> I figured that would be a popular answer. Yeah, solid choice. So is it, is, is it Ultros, man? Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love, love the conviction there. Why not? <laughs> he's already, he's already oh. on the mermaid. I mean, you know, we might as well just That's fine. I like, uh, I like Kefka a lot from Final Fantasy Sixes. Kefka's my favorite. I, I think uh, as far as, like, Sephiroth's definitely uh, on the badass meter. I'm super out there, but Kefka for just being a pure evil bastard and reveling <laughs> in it. Yes. Um, yeah, his his laughter as uh, Doma's shores are poisoned um, is is fantastic, and it sticks with you. It does, yeah. Kefka is pretty great. I'm so glad I've never been on the other end of these questions, because I have no idea who I would an- answer with. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <Zephyroth>. What is <laughs> That's what you answered. That's... <laughs> uh, what is what's your least favorite video game trope? Oh, you know, I think it'd have to be something with like um, way too much dialogue. Um, there's probably like maybe we should let Jeff answer this first because he'll have something more um, concise <laughs> put together. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you provide well, an example of a trope? Well, yeah, uh, um, uh, we've had previous guests say like uh, amnesia. Um, as far as, uh, you know, like, um, like, a, a you know, kind of pushing you in the way, um, you've got your, your kind of princess in peril tropes, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, kind of your women in danger, the, uh, the, the refrigerator, you know, women in a refrigerator, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> the, the abilities at the beginning of a game where you start off fully powered and then you get depowered. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I would yeah, say those, uh, kind of, those kind of things that show up in, in, in so many video games that they themselves have kind of become both like understand it like kind of understandable and also try it at the same time okay i I would probably go with the um uh the sidekick who wants to talk at you every five seconds and Mm. not let you play the game yeah you know they come out and they're like mega man mega man or like you know uh the first one i probably remember was uh uh saturday and Landstalker. i mean i love the game but i'm like shut up shut up shut up shut up shut up (laughs) i'm a hyper kid i just want to play you know like i mean it was a long time ago but yeah people that talk at you like Give me the controls back. That's mine. <laughs> I would say That's... one that I, I don't know if I technically despise it, but I, I see it a lot, and so it's kind of um, old and tired. Is that starting in, in prison or being thrown into prison? <laughs> for yeah. You say that because of Grimlock, don't you? Well, uh, uh, Gr- yeah, Grimrock, not Grimlock. Oh, Grimrock. Sorry. 
Well, Grimrock, Oblivion, um, Shining Force also had that same kind of thing. Right. Skyrim, you start, you know, in Actually, the back um, of the wagon. You know, I, I yeah, yeah. Every uh, Elder Scrolls, you start in prison. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a That's lot of a tropes. problem for them. <laughs> I think I've played I've only played Oblivion in Skyrim that's it and I didn't play Oblivion very much because at least starting in the cart in Skyrim I was like okay well at least I can like see the world you know I'm not in this like 5 by 5 cell right off the bat <laughs> Dark yeah, Souls was, is uh, like that too actually it started in a prison very true oh, yeah I didn't think about that anyway lots of prisons okay yeah um what else should we be checking out on Kickstarter? Once we funded your game, what uh, what else should we be looking at? You know, let me take a, take a look at my pledges because I noticed when I had actually um, created the project, it just like existed in the database, but it wasn't launched. I had backed eight projects, and then by the time like I don't even remember what I backed, but by the time we launched the project, I had backed eleven. So somewhere in there is like three projects that I thought were worth my time and money, but I, I can't remember them. So let me uh, let me pull those up. I'm having a hard time thinking of stuff because I have been like so heads down on uh, the California Extreme Live demo, the Kickstarter project of our own, and just kind of working on our own game that I feel like I don't even know what year it is so anymore. I, I will change the I will change the question for you then, Jeff. What was your favorite thing at California Extreme? Oh um, man, that's a tough question. There's a lot of really fun <laughs> stuff. Um, I think it was. Uh, just one, just playing like old school Gauntlet. That's one of my most favorite arcade games, and I really enjoyed playing that there. But um, I also really enjoyed uh, checking out this game called Killer Queens. Um, it was actually another, I think, indie game studio. I forget the name of the company now, but basically, it's like T- a Tiny Mantis. Tiny Mantis, yeah. It's a five-on-five multiplayer joust, and they had this really great setup where it was like uh, they had these like really homebrew controllers. It was like this big wooden block of five controllers and then another big table with another wooden block of five controllers. And then they had like a huge projector where they were projecting this game up. So it was probably like, you know, it was like 120 inch equivalent. And, uh, it was just a lot of fun. It was kind of like joust, but, um, you had people playing different roles. Like one person was the queen and then you had pawns on each side. And so it was kind of a really interesting take on, on a really old classic. And I thought it was great. Yeah, I was actually going to say that as my favorite thing from California Extreme 2. That game's really worth checking out. Um, I thought of something. I actually looked up my backs. Uh, <clears throat> game loading. I heard of, the, of a new... Um, it's it's They basically uh, had me because they pitched it kind of like Indie Game, the movie. But it's, it's a new documentary talking about indies. And uh, I think that stuff's really interesting. So I, uh, I backed that one. Cool. Very cool. Called, you said it's called Game Loading? Yeah, Game Loading Rise of the Indies. Sweet. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, I hope that um, gets if, if you had the if you had the chance to uh, to try any other profession, what would you try? You know, when I was in uh, college, I kind of wanted to. I, I was fascinated with uh, like epidemiology, <clears throat> like uh, like virology, and uh, just the, like the spread of viruses and stuff. Um, <laughs> but that sounds pretty dull sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's all right. I'm sure the guy who put a Samus mermaid on his arm could figure out a way to, to make that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, these microbes look like tiny little Metroids. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> be free, Metroids. Be free. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and that's how I'm the a, world I, I program a lot of my life, uh. so I... <laughs> 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 the galaxy's not at peace. Yeah. <laughs> At least we've got Mermaid Samus to save us. Yes. <laughs> Inverted. Mermaid what about you, Jeff? <laughs> I think I'd want to do something where I was on the water a lot, um, like like oceanography or marine biology, or just I don't know, searching for sunken treasure in crazy underwater caves. I really like you, the you, ocean. You're a little captain, don't you? You want to be like ar. <laughs> yeah, my eye patch, <laughs> peg leg. That's, That's right. what you want. <laughs> I really love the water, so I think it would be kind of fun to have some kind of profession where I was spending all my time there instead of behind a desk. Nice, <laughs> out of the open sea air. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Fighting um, krakens and things like that. <laughs> okay, so so a uh, a cryptozoologist of the sea. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. <Okay. laughs> awesome. Absolutely. 
Um, all right. So uh, when you come to the pearly gates of the Mushroom Kingdom at the end of your life, um, <laughs> and Toad, um, with his you know chubby little fingers, flips through the book of your deeds, uh, what do you want him to say to you? <laughs> you made some awesome games. <laughs> wow, that was, that was an amazing life. <laughs> Done and bonus points for trying to sound like Toad. And I realize uh, how uh, uh, embarrassing this is for me. I'm well, I'm well aware of that. <laughs> you have no shame, Matt. Uh, no, I don't. That's really perfect. Don't. That's fantastic. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> we, we, we don't recognize everybody has a here. Toad voice. Ninety percent of people just, uh, you know, they just hide it away. It's a special ten percent of us that, 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 that really amaze everybody else. Someday I'll have some shame. Someday. No, no. Maybe, maybe Toad will give me my shame. If you don't have it by now. No. Exactly. Yeah. Here's some shame, I, Matt. I have to say, whenever I played Super Mario Brothers Two, I always played Toad. Yeah, he was always my go-to. That had, or the princess, because she floated. Yeah, the floating was awesome, but Toad had the, the most solid controls, right? Like, everybody else felt kind of floaty or weird, but so Toad was, like, solid. Him and Mario, yeah. Toad was, Toad was yeah. a little smaller, a little more stout. He could handle th- he could handle himself. Back alleys of the Mushroom Kingdom. That's Boy. the dude you wanted with you. Yeah. I, Luigi, you don't know where the hell he's going to go. <laughs> you hit the jump just, button, he's like, see ya, I'm going yeah, somewhere. Yeah, done. He's just running I, like he's in always... a crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Like, right out the air. <laughs> I always chose Luigi, so I, I don't know what that was about. Where are you going to land? Just Luigi, Jonathan. I don't know. You don't would. Know. <laughs> that, that wasn't the point. It's not where you I land. Mean, it's it's the jump that matters. It's jump. The journey. It's the journey through the air. <laughs> the um, <laughs> I like it. Uh, Mustache. Right. <laughs> well, thank you guys for joining us today. I uh, really enjoyed our, our chats. Uh, if you could just tell everyone... Uh, where they can go to fund your project and when they can get their grubby little hands on it. Uh, we'll make it easy for you. It's just cryptrun.com. Easy. Um, it's uh, Our Kickstarter is going to last another 26 days, and then after that we're going to be selling it on our website right on cryptrun.com. Uh, the alpha version will be on the Humble Store. Um, and there it is. Anything else you want to add, Jeff, about that? I uh, think that about covers it. Cryptrun.com. Check it out. Back it's on Kickstarter. It's a great retro arcade game, so we'd love it if you love it. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for coming. Appreciate thanks. it.